The Old Testament reading is, comes from Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, and can be found on page 723. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will be not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. For our New Testament reading this morning, we are continuing in Romans chapter 12. Today's reading is verses 14 through 16 and can be found on page 1137 in your pew Bibles. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Can, can you hear me? Check, check, check. We're good. Uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, I'm excited to dive deeper into God's word together with you. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer. God, we thank you that you're here with us and that your unfailing love is here with us. And we thank you that that love has power to transform and free us and lead us into life abundant. So God, we simply ask that as you speak to us now through your word, that your word would have no barriers to reaching our minds and our hearts and our lives, that we might be reminded again today of your love and your grace, and that we would respond in faith. In Jesus' name, all God's people prayed, amen. Well, again, good morning. Uh, We are now in week five of seven in the series that we have been doing this winter called Together, How We Become Who We Are Through Belonging in Community. So we've been talking, uh, yeah, a little over a month now about community. We've talked about learning how to be alone, how to encounter the God of love and to sit in God's presence 
in such a way that we become transformed from the inside out and learn how to be present to one another. Uh, And so today we're looking specifically, we've been going through uh, Romans 12, section by section. Today we're looking specifically at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And if you're just joining us in this series, the, the way we've been, you know, we, we talk a lot about context being important when we read the scriptures, and the way we've been summarizing Paul's great letter uh, of Romans is it's made up of these two big parts, these two main parts, the first one being chapters 1 through 11, in which Paul tells the story of the love of God. And then chapters 12 through 16 which begin with this word, therefore, in this phrase, in view of God's mercy, and go on to talk about the practical response to the story of God's love, how we are to respond appropriately, fittingly, how we are to live into this story of God's love. And, uh, you know, we're in this kind of section, really starting in verse 9. In my Bible, I've got the the TNIV here, uh, the heading is love and action. And this, you know, these verses are kind of just a sort of list of all these very concrete ways in which love takes the form of action and how we relate to one another and how we relate to the world. Paul goes on in chapter 13 to talk about how to relate to this, the civil authorities it's love and action, and, and I always have a hard time preaching imperatives, you know, preaching ethical instruction in Scripture, like this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. I find it hard because I, it's hard to, you know, if it's like a, a nice Jesus story, I can kind of walk into the imagination of what it might be like to be present in that story, or... Uh, poetry, the Psalms, but ethical exhortation, these imperatives of go and do this, I find myself just wanting to be like, just go do it, let's go do it, and I tend to think sermons that amount to just go and do it, just try harder to not be uh, incredibly transformative, (laughs) but uh, I think we have enough messaging of, you know, go out and try harder, but... uh, Again, reading this in context, all of this is only possible because of God's love, because of God's mercy. And the story of grace doesn't end at the end of chapter 11. It really continues through chapters 12 and 16 and continues in the life of the church today that we continue to live in grace. Amen? We continue to live out this story only by means of the love of God in us through the power and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, thinking about you know, how to preach this text today, uh, here's what I came up with. All right, you ready for it? Here's my main point. God with us is our model for learning how to be with one another. Pretty good? Yeah? It's all right? Okay. Uh, God with us as our model for learning to be with 
one another, how we actually get into this business of rejoicing with and mourning with, doing life with one another. And so we're going to break that down, that, that withness is a I'm pretty sure a made-up word that a lot of theologians and spiritual writers use when they talk about God relating to us and how we are to relate to one another, but we'll break down that withness into three specific ways in which we manifest withness or being with uh, one another. And these are three ways that really, for any sort of genuine Christian community, for any sort of togetherness to actually happen, these are, you might think of them as three key ingredients to togetherness, to withness. And so those three ways are uh, through being intentional, through being empathetic, and through being vulnerable. Intentionality, empathy, and vulnerability. What do we mean by intentionality? What does it look like for us to be intentional with one another? Uh, you know, many of you have been in this, this Thursday night group, the mini small group we've been doing, looking at Henry Nouwen's book called Reaching Out, The Three Movements of the Spiritual Life. And I was reflecting this week on how uh, when he talks about our relationship with God, and I think this is just as true for how we relate to one another, he talks about the ingredient of time and how we have to actually just set aside time to be intentional in our relationship with God. And he says, quite frankly, there's just no shortcut to this. That depth of relationship requires time. Uh, Marva Dawn, we've been citing her in her uh, book called The Hilarity of Community, which is a book on Romans 12. She puts it this way. She, She says... For, for genuine community to flourish, in her, her chapter on this line, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, she says this just takes time. We can't mourn hurriedly, nor can we drink deeply of the delights of our lives if we are always rushing through things. For withness to happen, we need to spend time. And so I wonder about the ways in which for us to take seriously this call to rejoice with one another, to mourn with one another, to really do life together, we need to purge our schedules, our calendars, the frenetic pace of our lives with all the the things that fill it to the point where there's just no margin left for us to truly be present to one another. We need to show up. We need to be there. And that takes time. We, uh, you know, this, this whole series on this idea to do a winter series on togetherness came out of two things. One was uh, our council retreat back in October. Our council and our staff went to Millennium Park and got a, one of those park pavilions uh, on a beautiful day that we just spent a Saturday vacillating between times of individual prayer in which we would go off and then coming back and reflecting on a few questions together. We, our goal was to name our reality of where we're at as a church. 
after you know this this year and a half at that point of pandemic, and uh, we came away with with this word of God calling us to connection. That as we listened and named, we kept hearing how disconnected so many of us were feeling from each other because of this pandemic, and and really, I think that that worsened a problem that already exists in our hurried technological society of of this disconnection that. This, this quality of our life together that had already broken down in so many ways and how we were just simply feeling called back to this word of connection and how do we foster connection with God and with each other. And then our small groups team started talking about that. What does it look like to empower that to happen in our small groups here at the church? And we decided that, you know, Sherman Street's not a church where we would go up to the mountain and come down with this one-size-fits-all way of doing small groups. Uh, we, we instead thought, we sensed God leading us to, to invite every small group, and, and our, I think we've got 17 small groups uh, here at Sherman Street that we know about, and, and some, of, some of you in some of these small groups aren't even sure if you still exist because it's been a long time, but we thought, what if we created a resource for every small group to get together this winter and to just have an intentional conversation about whether or not we're still meeting. And if so, what is the purpose of this? Why do we do this? And what do we want this to be? And let's get really clear on what this is. Is this a casual social gathering where we just kind of show up when we're able to? Or do we want this to be something that goes deeper than that? And to, to trust the Spirit's guidance, and, and so each of our facilitators will get this, uh, we're sending it out this week, and inviting each, each small group to just gather and to prayerfully ask these questions, to get intentional about what this small group is and what, what level of commitment uh, each of us are willing to give to these? One of the questions has to do with, are we willing to covenant to say, if we meet monthly, to say we're each going to try to prioritize going to 10 out of 12 of these monthly small group gatherings? And we're going to show up even on the, the nights where we're tired and we maybe don't feel like showing up. Are we willing to be intentional? Are we willing to commit to one another by committing the time. When I think of uh, the life of Jesus, it's hard to get a more concrete picture than, than Christ showing to us the way in which God is so intentional in God's relationship with us. Jen and I uh, did a wedding here last night, and the, the, the text that the couple had chosen was Philippians 2, 1 through 11, one of my favorite scripture texts, where it talks about our attitudes towards one another should be like that of Christ, who didn't consider equality with God something to be exploited, but humbled himself. And it goes on to talk about the ways in which Jesus descended into the messiness of our existence. How Jesus took on humanity. How Jesus became Emmanuel, God, with us out of his love for us. 
And so just as God is so intentional with us, just like Jen said, thinking of stories like Zacchaeus, or I think of the father and the story of the prodigal son, just as God has come to us so explicitly, so clearly, so concretely in the incarnation, in the person of Jesus, what might it look like for us to be intentional, to create the time, the margin, perhaps even to make the sacrifice of creating space to be with one another. Being intentional, being empathetic is the second point, the second way in which we manifest withness with one another. Being empathetic. You know, I was struck by uh, how this text doesn't say, it, 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 it does say mourn with those who mourn. It doesn't say cheer up those who mourn. And, you know, Sometimes I get this sense in churches that people think it says, cheer up those who mourn. And uh, it's such an unfortunate thing that how uncomfortable we sometimes are in sitting with one another in our pain and in our grief. We so often, out of our own anxiety, will say things that might be well-meaning, but it could be incredibly painful to someone who's grieving, who's someone who's enduring great tragedy. And uh, perhaps you've experienced this firsthand, or you've heard stories of people who, who will say things, you know, when something awful happens, like, oh, it was God's will, or you just have to remember that that person's in heaven now. And putting aside the question of what those truths are, how those truths relate, it can be an incredibly insensitive thing. And it's, it's a form in which we, again, out of our anxiety, we feel this need to fix the other person. We're so uncomfortable with one another's pain at times, perhaps because we're so uncomfortable with our own grief and our own pain, that we end up doing the very opposite of empathetic response, of being with. We reject, in a sense, the person as they are. We fail to let them just be in the state that they're in. Which, yes, sometimes involves tears and sometimes doubt and anger at God. And if you look at how the scriptures, the Psalms, for example, just as our prayer book, give us so much space to feel these things so deeply and they give voice to them when sometimes we don't know how to put words to our lament and our frustration and our doubt in the ways that we can be so quick to shut one another down. We see, again, the ways in which God is willing to sit with us in our pain so much more than we are so often willing to sit with one another. We want to fix, we want to cheer up, we want to correct, we want to advise, when really the call is to be with one another in this non-judgmental, spacious hospitality, in in this gracious way, just as Christ is gracious with us. Marva Donegan has this this great story where she... um, 
she's talking about uh, a week that she spent in Juneau, Alaska with Faith Lutheran Church. And she said uh, it was just this week full of so much love that the, the, the saints of the faith that she got to spend this week doing a class with had just surrounded her with all these intentional acts of love, one of which, the one that stands out to me is, it was February when she was there and they gave her a whole box of Christmas presents. Like just totally unnecessary. Like, hey, we love you and here's some presents. And they did all these meaningful things and she talks about just spending time with them throughout the week and how loved she felt by this community of Christians, even in the short amount of time. And, and she tells a story of one night being in her room, being alone, and how she was working on a book she was studying, and she said sometimes what happens for her as she's studying is these memories of of old pain emerge. And, And she says, normally what I would do is I would just push those down so that I could keep working. But she said that in that space, because of the love of these these people that week, Instead of giving into that instinct to push down that grief, she, she let it come out. And she came out of her room and she, she reconnected with some of the people that she had been spending time with that week. And she said, I was able to have this wonderful time of grieving. That's the language she used. The result was a wonderful time of grieving. And then she says this, I'm surprised that I could ever write a wonderful time of grieving, because previous personal mourning times had always been so painful that I would want to get them over as soon as possible. Yet that night, within the care of those friends at this church in Juneau, she says, I felt safe, and she wept, and she says the weeping was cleansing, it was freeing it was good. And she said it was, it was long after that she reflected on the difference between grieving alone versus grieving in community. And she said both of them involve grief. There's this deep sadness in both cases still. And perhaps even a hopelessness about the situation But she said that the difference between grieving alone and grieving with others was that when she was grieving with others, the grief was no longer something that she felt could destroy her. The grief, when done together, became something that was bearable. And she says one of the best things we can do then for people who are in despair, is to create for them an enfolding and safe environment in which they will know so deeply that they are loved, that they are set free to do their morning work. What a beautiful picture of church. We all have grief. We all carry past wounds and sorrows and ongoing anxieties in our hearts. What a beautiful picture of church as a place in which we can create an environment where we feel so deeply, where we are so aware of the love of God and that love manifest in our fellowship, 
We are so aware of how loved we are that we're set free to do the morning work that we each have to do. There's this old saying uh, that I came across this week that shared griefs are halved and shared joy is doubled. And I find that, in my experience, to be so true. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that, if I'm honest, I find frustrating about Jesus uh, is that Jesus doesn't always really nowhere does Jesus promise to fix our problems. But Jesus does promise to be with us in whatever we're going through. The promise of Christ is not that he's going to take away our troubles, but that he will be with us always, even till the end of the age. It's that kind of withness that we see in Christ that is a model for us in how we are to be with one another. Not advising, not cheering up, not fixing one another's problems, troubleshooting them for us, but simply sitting with us in the midst of it. God uh, in Christ is our model of how to be intentional, how to be empathetic, and third, lastly, how we are called to be vulnerable. This business of uh, genuine Christian community, of being a people who rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, it requires people willing to be vulnerable enough to be rejoicing and be mourning. If we're a church where we all just go around keeping our cards close to our chest and being unwilling to be vulnerable with each other, we don't give each other the opportunities to come alongside one another and to weep with one another and to celebrate. And joy can be just as vulnerable, in a sense, as grief. It can be scary to rejoice because to rejoice, to get excited about something is to put ourselves out there and to risk being shot down, to risk somebody in a different way trying to, to fix or help us by bringing us down a notch or helping us to stay balanced when really being with one another just means to rejoice with those who rejoice and simply grieve with those who grieve. And it can be harder sometimes to be on the receiving side of care than it can be to be on the giving side. I know sometimes when, I, when I've called some of you who have been in crisis and said, let us be the church, let us bring meals, let people come and shovel your driveway, or what do you need right now? Sometimes people say, oh, we're fine, we can manage, and, and uh, I'll often lovingly push back and say, let us care for you right now, we love you. And I think back to when Jen and I had twins after Oscar was, I think he was 22 months old at that point, and it was a really good, humbling experience for us to be at a point in our own uh, need where, as one uh, set of twin parents said to us, anything anyone offers, just say yes. Like, don't be prideful. Don't, don't try to act strong. Just receive. For genuine community to happen, we need to be willing to, to put ourselves out there, 
to perhaps in our small groups, in our friendships, in our life together, to answer honestly the question, how are you doing, sometimes with the honest response of, actually not well at all. Actually, life is really hard right now. Actually, I'm barely holding on. To be willing, willing to risk the vulnerability of those moments. And it's actually through putting ourselves out there, through being vulnerable, through letting people love and serve us, that we are trained in how to love others. I uh, thought just to, to, tie our, to, to wrap these three themes together in closing here, being intentional, being empathetic, being vulnerable, and the ways in which we, we look to Christ as the example of how God relates to us in these ways, uh, I kept coming back to the, one of my favorite stories in the scripture, uh, John chapter 11, um, which is the story of the death, the death uh, and the resuscitation of Lazarus. And uh, I want to just read the end of this story and invite you, as you listen to it, to reflect on the aspects of it, to think about how we see in this Jesus' intentionality with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, the ways in which he goes to them and shows up and is present in the ways in which he takes the time. The ways that he is empathetic, that the pathos in the story is just so thick. And the ways that even he makes himself vulnerable. Uh, there's, there's a rebuke from, from Mary in this, a protest of, Jesus, if you would have just been here, you could have saved him. And it mentions how Jesus is troubled in heart. There's such a vulnerability in this moment, too. And, of course, this is all leading up to the, to the cross where we see God's vulnerability on full display. Uh, but I want to read this story to you. Uh, so Jesus had been in another town, and he got news that Lazarus was sick. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus had died. And... Uh, Martha comes out to Jesus first, and Mary is still weeping. And then when Mary hears that Jesus is there, she runs out to him. It's just kind of, she gets up and goes. The text mentions that the people in the room grieving with her didn't know where she was going. They follow her, and she goes to Jesus, and in this dramatic fashion, she falls at his feet, and she weeps. And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And, then, and John writes, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the people who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then the text just says, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And the people remarked, see how he loved him. Jesus wept. Jesus doesn't say, 
Mary, Martha, your feelings are ridiculous. I'm about to heal him. You don't have to be this way. Don't worry, don't worry. Stop crying, stop crying. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's about to heal Lazarus. But the feelings that they felt, the grief in that moment, even with the promise of life to come, those feelings were real and went deep. And Jesus felt them and wept with them. Isn't that beautiful? What a beautiful picture of not just God with us in our grief, but the invitation of how to be with one another. Let's pray together. God, uh, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to guess at what kind of fellowship you invite us to live into, that we have in you, Lord Jesus, such a clear picture of one who is willing to be intentional in structuring your life around prioritizing your relationship with us, one who's willing to feel so deeply with us, one who is willing to make yourself vulnerable, to come to our level, to to descend to us. God, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. And our prayer today is simply that as we continue to reflect on what it means to do life together, that we would uh, live into these things, that we would be a people whose own life together uh, reminds one another of your great story of love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.